Good evening and welcome to the third annual Geek-Centric Academy Awards Preview Show. Once again, emanating live from basements and recording studios across our beautiful country of Canada. If you're joining us for the first time, we are Geek-Centric, a podcast celebrating the world of movies, television, gaming, toys and collectibles, and all things Geek-Centric. Tonight, we will be examining some of the biggest and most prestigious categories from the 94th Annual Academy Awards, giving our thoughts and predictions regarding some of our favorite nominees. And now, on with the show. What's up, geeks? My name is Kev, and that's right. It's already that time of year again where we take a look at all things Oscar-centric like only geek-centric can. But of course, I can't do this all alone, so I think it's time to welcome my handsome and charming co-hosts for the evening. Uh, it looks like they've shared a limo here, probably because gas prices are so ridiculously expensive these days. <laughs> Coming down the red carpet first, you better bell fast, or he might steal a slice of your licorice pizza. What's up, Nate? Yo, hello. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, thank you so much. I think everyone looks amazing. Um, Justin wearing, uh, I, th- I believe it's an A24 yes. uh, sweater. And he, Kevin, uh, your hair is just gorgeous. He the dressed for the occasion. Yeah, I did my hair. Kevin, but, Kevin uh, who, who are you wearing? <laughs> Kevin, who are you wearing tonight? Who are you uh, wearing I'm wearing tonight? One Bone. It's a nice uh, fluffy <laughs> oh, sweater beautiful. from One Bone. Yeah, is that an Italian Italian designer? I think One Bone should be sponsoring the, the Big Boys Club whenever we get that rolling. Let's make that a thing. I'm down for that. <laughs> oh. Uh, but don't fret, following him through the throngs of paparazzi. Back in the day, I'd never let him drive my car because that would have been a nightmare alley. It's Jayla. How are you, Jess? <laughs> Good. Excited to be here. Excited to chat all things Oscars with you. And for the record, you did let me drive your car a buttload of times. So I'm just saying. I must have been stoned or something. <laughs> but you've come, you've come a long Probably. way since the early days of, of your nervous driving. I will give you that. Kevin, Kevin, maybe you were poisoned with anthrax. Did you ever think about that? Maybe you had some oh, anthrax going on? There's a little no. power of the dong, bro. <laughs> maybe I'll bring up the power of the dong a little bit later in the program. But first, I would also like to quickly note uh, that we were scheduled to be joined once again by our co-host mm. from last year, our incomparable mate from across the pond, Mike Hogan. Uh, unfortunately, a scheduling conflict with his work on the set of the upcoming Marvel movie Union Jack prevented this from happening. Um, <laughs> while I wish that were true, unfortunately, Mike came down with a little bit more than the movie bug and is feeling under the weather. Uh, so we obviously wish him a speedy recovery. You are missed, yeah. Mike. Yeah. Yes. He, you know, we love to get that, uh, you know, international sort of sense of, of movie fandom. And he talks movies really well. Like, he, he, we had a great time last year, but probably because he's not here, this will be a shorter episode, though. <laughs> I, can fi- I can fill in, though, if you want. Like, I honestly, I think that West Side Story <laughs> really does deserve Best Picture. I really You're do offending think that. every every and any <laughs> British listeners we have right now. We've just lost the whole market <laughs> no. in one fell swoop. Uh, now, Justin, you did mention uh, quickening the pace here. So before we get things started, I, w- I thought I would quickly break down what we plan to do on today's show. Um, as is always the case, there's controversy surrounding this year's Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it's actually a different reason uh, than the controversy we've sort of been seeing uh, regarding award shows over the last few years. Uh, this time, it stems from attempts to shorten the length of the actual broadcast by ABC. As a result, eight categories, including documentary short, film editing, makeup, hairstyling, original score, production design, 
both animated and live action short and sound have been cut from the televised portion of the show and will be announced beforehand. Uh, this has obviously been met with much ire from many throughout Hollywood who feel as though all elements of the filmmaking process should be represented and respected equally. Uh, and I certainly don't think they're wrong in that regard. Uh, I do, however, find it rather interesting that while they're trying to cut down the length of the award show, the movies that they're celebrating certainly did not get any shorter this year. Uh, the no. average length of the 10 Best Picture nominees was two hours and 19 minutes. It's crazy. Yeah, that's, you know, um, there, was, there was quite a few uh, marathon uh, movie-watching experiences to be had if you wanted to try and get through all of the nominees. And I think, like, honestly, a lot of my issue with a lot of these best pictures is the pace. And a lot of that comes down to length um, it, to the point where, like, when it, it, like if we were to bring up the concept of editing, I'm just like, where? <laughs> like, who who edited these? Like, there are only <laughs> only I think two of them where I watched them and I sort of felt like, oh, this is this was a, a normal paced movie or I, I felt invested enough that I, I cared. The rest of them, I kept checking my watch. I checked Twitter. I, I just wasn't, I was being lost by the third act in most of these movies. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And the fact that the list is longer too this year, right? We have we have 10 movies, right? Um, but yeah, the, the the length of these movies w was ridiculous. It, to, be f to be completely honest, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to dr watch Drive My Car uh, three hours. It was just hard to really carve out that time. But like you said, Kev, it was a marathon to get a lot of these done. And, and it seems like it's almost like a staple now of like Oscar movies that you need to hit. Like you have to. Over it's two almost hour a requisite. Movie. Only one of the 10 nominees was under two hours. Yes, yeah. and I think last year we had at least two or three, maybe. But I, I feel like again this this year, long movies, man, super long movies. Well, uh, I went on a bit of a personal mission this year, and not only did I watch all ten Best Picture nominees, but I watched thirty three of the thirty four nominated pictures. Uh, this was a struggle. Uh, it, it led me to watch some movies that I probably never would have and actually found myself to really enjoy, which we'll talk about as the program goes on here. But no, a recurring theme in all of these movies was at least two hours long. It was, it, it, it was basically right. the number one criteria of the Academy in, in choosing their, their favorites this year, I think. And, and like you said, Nate, I just think it's not that the, I didn't enjoy the movies or that they weren't good, but the, the length was a detriment to the overall quality of the picture in the end. Absolutely, man. Yeah, they, they don't need to be they don't need to be that long unless they involve Spider Man. Then you could make it five hours long. Then I'm yeah, okay. I could have done more. <laughs> could have done with more Spider Man. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, now to follow suit with the Academy's decision to cut things down, we too have cut down the number of categories we will be examining and predicting for our annual competition. We've got it down to a list of ten. But before we dive right into those, I thought this would be a good time to take a look at any categories or nominees that we won't be discussing in the main portion of the show. Well, you know me, I like editing, um, and it's a shame that editing is not going to get its recognition on stage uh, like like some of the other big staples of the filmmaking process. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm leaning towards don't look up. Uh, if, if okay. don't look yeah. up just because it utilized editing in a, in a really great way to kind of make you feel uh, sort of chaotic and, and sort of uh, immersed in, in, in the, in the story. And, and also just like frantic because the movie feels very frantic based on the, on the situation. Uh, the only other one that I think could probably take it is power of the dog. Uh, yeah. Cause it, 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 it does, it does play with 
longing tension really well and there's just such a great layering of of the shots with with the music and the the way things are cut together and and how they are able to give you the information throughout the story i think i think that's another contender but i feel like if 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 don't look up is going to win anything at the oscars it's probably going to be editing i do (laughs) find it interesting the two movies you've selected here in that nate joked at the beginning that nobody was editing these movies because they were too long but when you're focusing on the other aspects of editing and the way they've composited the film together, those are definitely two standouts for me. Uh, I would also mm-hmm. shout out Tick, Tick, Boom in the category yep. just because I'll be speaking mm-hmm. about it a little bit later on in the program, but if I like a musical, you've done something right, and I think in this case they've done a lot of things right for me. Yeah, it, it seems like you know Tick, Tick, Boom, I think... Um, I, I, th- I feel like Tick, Tick, Boom, though I will say with the editing... It was. It is a better edited film for sure, um, because of how it does feel a little bit more uh, conventional. But also, like it, it the pace is really nice, and the, the way they cut from scene to scene, or sometimes sequence to sequence, to emphasize comedic value and and different aspects of of the performances. I think works really well. Um, Power of the Dog, you're right, is super drawn out. And it's almost like it's the opposite of Don't Look Up, where Don't Look Up is mm-hmm. frantic and, and jittery yeah. and gets you, and it gives you that same level of sort of your, your, your anxiety. More and more, yeah, that more and more anxiety. But it's interesting how they take opposite approaches to give you the same feeling. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really mm-hmm. cool. But I, I agree with you. Now that you sort of bring it up, um, I think. For me, yeah, Don't Look Up might be the one that I, I remember the most as far as walking editing. away and just being like, oh, that editing. Yeah, the way it was yeah. edited was really well done. Yeah, I, I agree with you, though, Kevin. Like, Tick, Tick, Boom does a really great job of balancing how it weaves between, like, the dramatization and the theatricality of the musicals so well. And that does come down to, like, how those scenes are cut together. It brought such a great realism to... Mm. the musical numbers i mean they basically have a stage worthy performance in a small confined apartment and just the way they're able to cut that together to make you feel like you're in the room with them as they're singing and having a good time at that party i just that's one scene in in particular that really stood out um i also wanted to bring up another category that's not on our list and not going to be on the Oscars, which is uh uh, hair and makeup i think for me like the eyes of tammy faye just that movie I've never seen a movie quite do such a quite a good job of of sort of transporting an actor or an actress's performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it elevates it so much in the costuming and the the well specifically the the makeup. It's yes. it's kind of sad how integral it is to that character, but it is, and the movie is it emphasizes it so well. And I just I love how. You know, as you watch it, like not only because of her age, but just overall, the makeup gets more and more and more intense. Um, And even to the point of giving us like a believable like Jimmy Baker with Andrew Garfield, like I I was shocked how Mm -hmm. how much by the end of that I was like, I'm fully invested in in these two characters being this age, even though like a few scenes ago they weren't like it's just it was fantastic. Yeah, the the makeup actually is a character in the eyes of Tammy Faye. Yeah, because of how much how transformative it is for Jessica Chastain and to a certain degree Andrew Garfield, but more so for Jessica Chastain. Like she really like disappears into this character, and 
the hair and makeup definitely plays into allowing her to do that. You mentioned costuming, and not to deviate, I do think costuming will go to Cruella. You know, costuming, I think, is done really well in Cruella. And, you know, when we when we reviewed that movie uh, last year, we had talked about how we thought at this point in time with the Oscars that it should get the recognition. And to see it getting recognition in award shows already, I, I think it could take this one for costume design. I mean, it's just as integral to the movie from a character standpoint Absolutely. as the makeup is in Eyes of Tammy Faye. So 100%. for the same reasoning, yeah, man, I agree with that. And the costuming is just so unique in this movie. It's a movie mm. about fashion design, and they roll with that. And and they have some of the most unique costumes I've ever seen in a movie. They're unexpected as they roll out throughout it. I've never been more invested in costuming. Whereas something like Cyrano is just another period piece where... You know, the men are wearing their frilly suits and the women are wearing their big dresses. We've seen it hundreds mm. of times before. It's always fantastic, and kudos to the designers who put those together. But Cruella brought this really fresh sense of Personality. design. Yeah. Yes, it was, yeah. it was so great. Uh, and I will just say in this category really quickly, I wish Macbeth, if we were going to look at one mm. of the period pieces, I wish Macbeth was nominated because there was just this really unique style that that matched sort of the, the production and the, and the sets around them. Their costumes were really sharp and pointed and very straight and simple, but not what you would expect in a play like Macbeth or, or another one of those period pieces where we've seen those costumes so many times before. Mm -hmm. Totally. Speaking of the tragedy of Macbeth, I, I do think production design, it has a good chance of, of winning that. If, if the movie's going to win anything it 100 percent deserves to win that because it obviously felt like a stage the way it was shot it felt like a theatrical performance but also the way they gave out outdoor spaces a sense of feeling like it was part of the stage like it it, it felt very unique the way settings and space were handled uh especially to just get like really harsh shadows and leveraging that black and white aesthetic like they did such a great job with articulating that black and white aesthetic through the set design and and through the the the, the whole look and production design of of Macbeth so I, I I hope it gets that 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 would be my guess for that one yeah I 100% I agree with you there uh if I can call out one more category uh for me it's it's best international film uh this mm. is a category that Usually, I don't pay much attention to, and I think Parasite a few years ago really opened my eyes up to the possibility of, of what those movies really could. They're a lot more approachable than I think I ever gave them credit for, and so watching all five, five nominees was a really unique experience for me this year, and we'll be talking about two of, of the nominees later, so I'll save that, but I'll shout out the other three really quickly. Uh, uh, the Worst Person in the World from Norway, uh, it's a really melancholic look at romance. Uh, I kind of said it was a an early Woody Allen movie, but written <laughs> from the perspective of a female instead of for the perspective of a female. Uh, mm. Lulana, A Yak in the Classroom. This is such a lovely little movie, a great family movie, uh, a tale of self-discovery. And then uh, The Hand of God uh, is this incredibly surreal Italian experience about growing up and persevering through tragedy. So again, normally... I wouldn't have seen these movies and th at least three of them, maybe four from this category were some of my favorites of all the movies I watched this year. So this is, it's changed my perspective on international filmmaking. And, and for that, I'm really grateful. If, if I gained anything from suffering through all of these movies, shout out to Cyrano, maybe the worst movie of the bunch. 
no, I found some really, really lovely little gems, and I really encourage people to check some of them out. Yeah, I've heard nothing but great things uh, about uh, the worst person in the world. I, I wanted to watch that one before before this, but I'll probably end up watching it before the Oscars. Um, but if if I don't know, I think if I think the film that's going to win the international feature film will be Drive My Car. Uh, I, I feel like there's been so much that people have been talking about that that it, it's it, it's the one that has kind of bounced outside of the international platform. And, you know, we see it recognized here as in best picture. Um, but, you know, again, it could be the worst person in the world as well. Right. So. Uh, you know what? But don't sleep on on Flea. I'll, I'll be talking about that movie a little bit later on. But don't sleep on that one, because that was maybe the biggest surprise out of this category for me. I had and that's no idea animated, isn't it? It's well, it's wild. It's wild. That movie. Um, oh, and wow. just a quick shout out to uh, Renate Rienz. Uh, from the worst person in the world, she actually won Best Actress at Cannes. So, to see her not get any recognition here for a nomination, uh, especially considering maybe some of the nominees, uh, maybe we'll talk about that a bit later. But yeah, so just a quick shout out to her terrific performance in that movie. Uh, well, I think it is now time to do what we've all come here to do. Amy Schumer has told a few so-so jokes up on stage. We've seen dozens of celebrities mingling <laughs> and looking their best in way too expensive clothing. So now it's time to hand out our first shiny gold statuette. The category, Actress in a Supporting Role. Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter. Ariana DeBose for West Side Story. Judy Dench for Belfast. Kristen Dunst for The Power of the Dog. And Anjanu Ellis for King Richard. This is my one, uh, my one claim on the show. There's lots of names to pronounce as we go here, so I apologize to anybody whose names I, I mispronounce. Yeah. Uh, who wants to lead us off with their picks for this one, guys? Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in here. Ariana DeBose is the best part of West Side Story. Wow, I actually st stole the note off my page, <laughs> dude. I did not enjoy West Side Story. I had never seen West Side Story, the musical, none of it. From a story perspective, that movie is ridiculously terrible. Um, there's some good parts about the movie that I think they've definitely, from a production standpoint, done a little bit better on. But focusing in specifically on her performance, she steals every single scene she's in. As far as I'm concerned, she was the lead in this movie. Uh, and honestly, she is just leagues above the rest of the cast. She deserves it from a standpoint of, of you know, if we're looking at what the movie is really trying to execute as a musical specifically, she is the music, she is the dancing. She is incredible. I will say, as much as Judy Dench was a, a delight, I do think um, Anjanu Ellis as Brandy Williams in King Richard was phenomenal. Um, she just, she didn't have enough screen time. There was like two scenes that I could, I can recall in my head of her performance, which were just incredible. The fact that she, she's, she's up there, she's acting alongside an incredible performance from Will, um, but at the same time, um, no man, it's for me. It's it's Ariana DeBose all the way. Let's go. I want to see her dancing again so bad. Yeah, She's incredible. I, I I agree with you on on almost all your points that you've made here. Um, I do believe that not only was Ariana DeBose the best actress, but she was the only one who who I wanted to hear sing again. Yeah, and that's a pretty important element in a musical. <laughs> in so a musical all the way around, she just absolutely stole the show. Uh, and my only other choice that I really wanted to call out here was Judy Dench, as you mentioned. She was certainly, mm -hmm. she had the, the most charming performance of the five nominees, I think. For sure. I yeah. just, I feel like um, 
for similar sort of reasoning as we might talk about with Denzel and and Will, I feel like Judy Dench. You know what? She's gotten she's gotten a lot of accolades in her time, and I I feel like yes, she was incredible, but it wasn't. It just was sort of. I expected that. You know what I mean? I sort of just expected that. Whereas Ariana DeBose, the only other thing I've seen her in is Schmigadoon, which she's incredible in Schmigadoon as well on Apple TV Plus. But um, but no, I was so. She was like a refreshing. Every time she was on the screen, I was just like, "Oh, thank goodness!" Okay, I'm, I'm going to like this part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree with the sentiments. Ariana DeBose deserves the Best Supporting Actress Oscar because, to the point of what you said, Nate, she was all the highlights of what that movie was. She was the singing, she was the dancing. Outside of the production stuff that that are achieved in that movie, she was the highlight of it. And yeah, I, I, I would give her the golden statue. There we go. Well, moving from Ariana DeBose to Judy Dench, let's take a look at our first of the 10 Best Picture nominees. From producers Laura Berwick, Kenneth Branagh, and Becca Kovacic, and Tamar Thomas, Belfast tells the story of a young boy and his working-class Belfast family experience the tumultuous late 1960s. Yeah, I I think this movie is is probably so well deserved to be on the best picture list because of how heartfelt and i don't know just honest especially given the current world situation of what's going on i feel like its story it has such a relevancy and grounding it in the in, in this in the focus of, of of a young boy to kind of understand the good and the bad in the world i just thought that was such a poetic piece of, of the story to help kind of cement its relevancy of of understanding the world um and how how just the small town is is very much symbolic of the world that that boy knows right um and the fear of of leaving it i, I it was it, it's so well done um i i actually really enjoyed the sort of heartfelt nature of it it felt very old school filmmaking right like how how they how they do sure the sort of like locked off shots with camera swivels uh, there was a movie that's that's like post World War Two called The Bicycle Thief. It, it's an Italian film. It's shot in the streets of Italy, uh, you know, what uh, post war. So you see it and you you really feel it. Um, and these big movie cameras are just on tripods with simple, locked off motions. And it felt very similar to that, like some of the camera movement. But then you know the opening had like a very nice traditional long take as you explore the town and, and you you see you're introduced to Belfast like it's it was really nice how they mix the two sort of styles to to make it feel very period piece if you will well, it was cool the opening um, I think was kind of the opening and the and sort of the closing shots are the only ones that use in, in my recollection like a drone shot um, where it's flying over top and I liked how it sort of it brought you into the world and then it brings you back out um, and it's really really lovely the movie from a cinematography standpoint honestly Belfast I think should have been on that list um, while I don't think it it necessarily would have won it just did so much from the way that it was shot the way that it was captured the way that they got this little kid in every single shot to let you know that he's listening he is the story is through him even if he's not directly the one of the characters speaking on screen I love the use of color 
in the movie where they would show color in situations where the characters were escaping from their reality and and especially within like the movies that they were chitty, watching. Chitty chitty bang bang, chitty um, chitty bang bang. Right? It was so good. And when the whole when the, all of them like le- lean forward and back, I was just like, wow, like it's just so cool to to sort of see that um illustrated in a movie just the power of that the movies can have and it reminded me so much of like a less comedic version of Jojo Rabbit um and and just sort of working your way through and I just thought like the way that it it sort of um kind of puts the characters in these sort of portraits in at times it almost even felt in certain scenes like I was watching a stage play where some of the characters were sort of especially in scenes in scenes with like the grandma and grandpa where you know we got the, the, the little guy sitting on the toilet on out on the in the outside of their house uh, on an out, outdoor toilet and then we've got the the grandmother and the grandfather sort of speaking from these different windows and it's just so honestly it's a lot of it just sticks with me so much and uh, and yeah man I love I loved Belfast mm-hmm. yeah I, I really enjoyed this movie as well uh, I mean, it's interesting you bring up that it felt like it was a stage production at times, and and those intimate moments where they were in the house or in the family area, it really did, and I think it was supposed to. I found some of the sound to be a little bothersome at times. It, it almost felt like when they were in these big open streets, some of the people speaking or yelling, the audio was a little weird. It was a little imbalanced, and that sort of took me out of particular moments. It just it felt like that was filmed on a on a a little sound stage instead of being in this big open world and so that took me out of it but I mean Jude Hill's performance here alone what a great shout out Nate to to bring up Jojo Rabbit and just these young actors who sort of captivate and, and steal I mean Jude Hill was stealing scenes from Judy Dench and and Kieran Hines I mean yeah. great actors with immeasurable talent who were both nominated and it's almost a shame that his performance goes a little bit unrecognized because he he was like he was the star and and really did did carry this movie for me yeah he was and and i i think it's you know the call out of it feeling very stage like i think that's purposeful you know like i think that's very purposeful of again speaking to like that classic style of filmmaking where people don't really move too much and they stay locked off in these sort of very set oriented but it also had like that little bit of like wes anderson quality where it's like the way things are framed as you said nate you know that the playing with this idea of portraiture uh and framing them and and as a memory right because everything about this feels very um like a memory uh we're reliving a memory obviously right because of the black and white aesthetic and, and and all that so yeah dude jude hill is like when i watch it i'm like i'm just watching a little kid like i, I mm. normally when you look at kid actors they're acting they're they're very clearly acting, and this kid was just a little kid. Like I, at times, it felt like I was watching documentary footage in this yeah, movie. Exactly. And yeah. you know, I watched it with my mom, and and she she actually was in Ireland at the time, um, to the point where she actually had to her and and my aunt had to leave with my my great grandmother um, from a store where they were buying coats uh, because of a bomb scare. And uh, and she she was just as we were watching the movie, she was recalling all these these situations, these moments from a production standpoint. She was calling out, you know, places uh, that she saw and, 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 you know, they really do a good job of, of transporting you into that uh, that part of Ireland uh, in that time frame. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. I'm just uh, I, it should be it should have been nominated for more, I think. Uh, but but I mean it, it did get the big one at least and and some acting yes. nominations so it did get some recognition even director but yeah no it 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 did a lot of things really really well and and definitely deserves to be in in the the ten nominees there 
Uh, why don't we move on to our next category? This is actor in a supporting role. We have Karen Hines for Belfast, Troy Kotzer for Coda, Jesse Plemons for The Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons for Being the Ricardos, and Cody Smith McPhee for The Power of the Dog. Yeah, uh, it's going to Troy Kotzer for sure. For All Coda, damn day. He was so yeah. incredible. He was definitely the highlight. The two of them, like the fact that Marley Matlin isn't nominated. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, it almost, it, it was so great how they were so honest with their with their approach of how they did it. it you, you felt like, again, I always think it's great when we see actors bring a bit of themselves into these roles and maybe exaggerate and, you know, go more with that. And I feel like that's what Troy Kutzer did in, in Coda. I think he did such a great job with it. And he was the highlight. He made me cry at the end of that movie, man. I was bawling. I wonder if it's because we're so familiar with Marley Matlin. I mean, she won an Academy Award in 1987. She's been right. she in has so won. many yeah. so many works that we, we've just we, we we've just become so familiar with her. Where I, I I can't recall seeing Troy Kotzer anywhere before, and he instantly within his first scene of the movie had me hooked right in. And like you said at the beginning of the movie, it, it it was so amazing how they were able to to express themselves as actors without having any dialogue. And and I think it's amazing how much I was laughing at the jokes that they were telling without a single word being delivered. And then equally as powerful, Justin, the scene towards the end with his daughter was just so powerful and so incredible. And again, without him having to say anything, you feel so, so much from his performance. This was by far my favorite performance of any movie I, I watched over this this Oscar season. Yeah, he... he um... He's mostly done a lot of television stuff, um, <clears throat> but for for this to be his first sort of major role, he, absolutely, he nailed it. He's so believable. I thought he was a real fisherman dad. I'm like, that guy's not an actor. That's a fisherman <laughs> dad. They pulled off the street, uh, and he's he's yeah, he's hilarious. He's charming. His dad jokes really hit. Um, and I, yeah, dude, I'm still thinking about the moment with him sitting with his daughter on the uh, you know on the on the truck. Uh, truck bed and just you know it was so lovely um yeah man i i think he was phenomenal i definitely would put my vote there i do also think that uh uh is it kirian hines is that how i'd pronounce that yes it's a hard c i had to look it up because i wasn't quite yeah. sure but yeah i do think um the only other person i would consider would be kirian kirian hines uh who he, I just saw my own grandpa in him, so maybe I've got a little bit of bias there because I've got an Irish grandpa that I literally saw this man. But, like, he's just, again, in the same sense that I, I thought I was watching a little kid, I just thought I was watching his grandfather here. And I, and I think, for me, even though I've seen that actor in other things, I really just saw his character in that, in that movie. Um, he was really, really lovely. Uh, I mean, I'll also quickly shout out, I love J.K. Simmons. And I thought he was maybe the, the most enjoyable part of being the Ricardos. Uh, but it wasn't really a, a right-home kind of performance or a right-home kind of movie. It was just sort of something that happened. I will give huge props to another uh, young actor, uh, not quite as young, uh, but Cody Smith-McPhee. To be able to, to go one-on-one -on -one with the great Benedict Cumberbatch and have a completely different character and sort of create that tension and everything with him, he, I think he stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with with one of the world's best actors and, and did a great job and, and really helped carry 
carry that story. So huge shout outs to them. But I think, yeah, I think this one's a no brainer. This is a, a Troy yeah. Kotzer. This is going to Troy Kotzer for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think it, he's been recognized so much throughout the award process already and like it's crazy that we think of this as like a major role but for him this probably wasn't a major role right like this was just a role this was something that he could probably relate to and understand and he got into it and i think that that again that honesty that comes from this elevated this whole movie and his role to something being major well and speaking of troy why don't we move on to our next nominee for best picture from producers philip Rousselet. Fabrice Gianfermi and Patrick Washberger, Coda, or Child of Deaf Adults, tells the story of Ruby, the only hearing person in her deaf family. When the family's fishing business is threatened, Ruby finds herself torn between pursuing her love of music by wanting to go to Berklee College of Music and her fear of abandoning her parents. Yeah, this is, uh, I think this was, this was my movie of the best pictures. I, I loved it. Um, I think because of, you know, you were speaking to it earlier kevin it was this emotional ride that you go on right like you have the happy moments and you have the heartfelt moments and this idea of them discovering their relationship and their new relationship as ruby grows up and and really starts to ask what does she want um and i think that that's such a again that's such a relevant topic that i think in many movies we've watched already that has come up is how do you you know move forward without forgetting your past or closing that door how do you keep the two connected and I think this movie does a really great job of showing obviously the pre-existing struggles that she had but how it takes you to the next step like it's it was so well done yeah I'm I I, when I was watching this movie the very first time um I gotta say a a lot of people were recommending it and I was going in and I, I did have a bit of trepidation um just just in the sense that I was a little worried that it was going to feel too conventional girl has a dream of becoming a musical superstar and falls in love. And I thought there was going to be a lot of like high school drama, romance sort of aspect to the movie. And I was so delighted when they just really focused in on her and her relationship with her family. And that was the biggest part for me where I was like, awesome. They're not spending too much time on this whole romantic element. It's in there, and it's in there enough for people that want that from the movie. But but the, the way that they really managed to bring the, the entire family through the movie um, was phenomenal while still giving her her own voice and, and really kind of uh, showing her kind of get to this place where she's able to, to, to make the decision she does. It's, it, it was gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And I just, I mean, I called this as soon as it wrapped. I said, that's this year's green book. That's the, 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 the most heartfelt, the most approachable for all audiences. That's just the movie anybody can watch and feel something from and get something from. And I just love the recent attention. We had such a great representation for for deaf people in Sound of Metal last year. We got our yeah. first um, deaf superhero this year in Eternals. And now we have mm-hmm. a movie that is going to do really well. Uh, ho- I'm hoping it takes Best Picture, not to spoil my pick for later in the show. But it's just so refreshing. And it's such a it's bringing forward a, a completely new way of storytelling that that is blowing my mind how they're finding new and interesting and, and unique ways to do so. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly surprised and finding myself uh, just taken aback by it all. I'm just happy it's in the Oscars at all in the sure. sense that, in the sense that, I mean, it definitely deserves it, but I mean, from a standpoint of it's nominated, if it wins, 
the 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 beautiful part is there's so many people that haven't heard about this movie um and have, have not necessarily you know subscribed to apple tv plus have not seen the marketing so i love that the oscars really does kind of bring these movies forward for a lot of people uh in in a you know in a similar sense to a lot of the movies you just you just described a lot of people wouldn't watch them if they weren't in the oscars yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's allowing more people to to see these stories being told. But, you know, again, just this idea that this entire movie is is a is a sort of a flip on the traditional script of, as you described, Nate, the story of, of the girl going through her high school angst and trying to do self-discovery and, you know, has a romantic relationship and what does she want to do with her future? But they throw in, obviously, living with deaf parents and and now it creates a new layer to this whole thing to the point where it felt really traditional when they have that musical moment and she's going to do her song and they just kill the sound and i was just like this is where it all just comes together as really saying this is not your traditional she's going to have her musical moment and they're going to say no you, you step into you really step into the parents moment and really understand that everyone loves her and, and for what she can do with her voice and they can't appreciate that so it's it's so much about letting her go so she can do what people love her for while they can love her too it's just like the it's just such a great story man so i don't know so and, and what she sings and she does the signing you know oh. so many people forget that 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 forget deaf people and what she did is she, in that moment she did not forget her parents and decided to show them what she's singing about what she showed her them voice, her right? world like, and and included them in in her exactly journey. exactly yeah, it's, and it's, i feel like it's a commentary on how sometimes people forget about deaf people right and like in that moment she's like you know fuck it i'm gonna do this my way for them and it, it was it was great it's it's one of those moments where it could have been cheesy it could have been it could have felt forced and in a typical movie it might have but this movie handles all of all of those nuances with such delicacy that it elevates them and it really, it makes them that much more powerful. Uh, I really liked what you said there, Nate, how the Academy Awards are great in that they bring movies that two people that might not otherwise uh, know about them or or think that they should watch them. Our next category uh, features movies that everybody watches. Um, and this is certainly the most geek-centric of all the categories, and that's why I had to include it in our show here. Of course, I'm talking about visual effects. Uh, I do apologize. I won't name the five or six nominees for, for each movie, just for that's time just and, and politeness sake. Uh, the nominees <laughs> are Dune, Free Guy, No Time to Die, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and Spider-Man No Way Home. I, this is this was a tough one. I, I want to hear what you guys have to say about. I'll this jump topic in first, first here. Sure. Yeah. I'm going a hundred percent here for Dune. I think while all of these other movies are great, uh, we've seen so many superhero movies with the big CGI special effects that they can all kind of run into e- each other. They're all kind of similar. It's hard to pick which fight sequence has the best or which explosions are the best. I think. The way Dune mixes its CGI and practical effects is what really sets it apart for me, and that's what I came away from from the, mm. from that aspect of the visual aspects was just how they use so many practical effects. They made these ships and these planets feel real, and I really, really appreciated that. Yeah, there is so much. Dune is my pick as well. Dune, there's so much to Dune <laughs> okay. that that teleports you 
to the world of Arrakis. And there's other aspects beyond the visual effects that we'll get into. But I just thought that the the it, it really does sort of take you to another world uh, for three hours straight. And, and it does so in a way that still feels... Um, fairly original. I think it's kind of tricky when you're talking about a movie that inspired Star Wars and then you're watching a remake of that movie that's come out after everything we've seen from Star Wars. So it's kind of like, wait, is it original? Wait, is it not original? But I, I really, I, I think it's just such a, a transformative experience for three hours straight, visually stunning. I'm shocked that Free Guy is in the running. I thought that Free Guy's visual effects... I get it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I had fun with the movie. I get what they were trying to do in the sense of saying, like, we're making it crappy looking because it's like video games. Like, these video games don't look phenomenal, so we're going to make the visual effects look phenomenal. I don't think that's enough of a reason to put it in this category. The fact that they nailed that aesthetic. I think it's uh, it's just kind of silly, and, and it just feels a little odd. And you know what? If you enjoyed it, whatever. That's fine. I, I really enjoyed that movie, but I would never put it in here up against Dune and, and Spider-Man, for instance. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I was going to say Dune. Like, that was my first go-to. The only one that I thought could potentially get it is Shang-Chi for the same reason that you kind of were describing about with Dune, Kevin, is there was a sense of practicality built around, like, trying to shoot those fight scenes. Uh, at a certain point, that kind of disappears towards the end of the movie. I, I get that. But that latter half there was very, uh, you know, blending the two. And Yeah, but I think Dune did such a great job of, as, you know, Nate said it, transporting you to this visual oasis, if you will, of, of just a universe that is so captivating. And yeah, you know, like the best thing about the visuals is that they embrace the Star Wars-ness because they realize as soon as you put ships in space with sand planets... It's gonna be Star Wars. <laughs> it's Star Wars, and they had the idea first. Yeah. George Lucas totally leapt off of Dune and and built Star Wars, and that's fine. But again, to come and do their own look to the space futuristic style, it was very unique and and visually captivating. But it also in, it encapsulates that that lived in feel as well, right? Everything felt sure. like it had been there for a long time, and so yeah, it's, it's almost very full primal. circle with yeah. It's almost full circle with Star Wars in that regard, right? It almost sure, pays sure. homage to the movie that was paying homage to the original. Like it's a, sure. it's yep. a neat little cycle there. But uh, I think we'll have plenty more to say about Dune a little bit later on in the show. Uh, but first, let's move to our next nominee for Best Picture. From producers Adam McKay and Kevin Messick, Don't Look Up tells the story of two low-level astronomers who must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. Well, I, I was pretty much boasting about this movie when we reviewed it. We've had a lot to say about this with our review and, and subsequent talks. Uh, Nate, what did I, I think I think you've chimed in a bit, but what did you think of Don't Look Up? You know, it was uh, it's the kind of movie that, um, <clears throat> again, the editing threw me off initially, um, and I was kind of, I, I didn't know how to feel about it. And then over the course of the movie, I, I, I learned to really appreciate it for what it was for what it was doing, I kind of caught on at a mm -hmm. certain point. I'm I'm not as attuned to these things as, as Justin is, but I was able to uh, to kind of get there. And yeah, man, it's it's you know what it's it's uh, phenomenal performances in the movie, um, a storyline that really makes you think. It's really relevant to to today and and everything that's going on. Um, and it's just it's one of those movies that like yes, it does lay on the the sort of the messaging really thick, but it's entertaining enough as a movie itself for me to stick with it. 
Um, by the end of it, I wouldn't really say it's like a fun movie, <laughs> so no. to speak. Yeah. But it is one of those movies that you walk out of and you're just like, wow. And, and you have those conversations and you really start talking about some of this stuff that's going on in and around the world. And I think if that was its goal, it, it totally achieved that. And that's why I think, it, you know, it, it does have the legs to potentially win for Best Picture. Wow. It, it's relevant. And that's why I think it deserves to be in this category 100%. I think to your point, Nate, it's, you know, you don't leave feeling like better about the world. It kind of makes you think like, wow, that is all plausible. And that's what's scary. Yeah. It's also narratively the most original movie about that subject matter that I've ever seen. True. Like, True. I don't think I've seen another movie that's been that yeah. intriguing in, in the way that it tells its story. Part of the reason I don't want to check out Moonfall is because it's going to be back <laughs> it's to the form. same thing, dude. Yeah. yeah, it's the same thing that we've yeah. already gotten. Yeah. Here with At Least Don't Look Up, it, it draws in an actual relevancy of yeah. current times. Well, wh what Adam McKay does is he essentially makes a good disaster movie in that he yes. focuses on the people and the events leading up to the disaster rather than focusing on the disaster itself. That plays such a small role. True. And we don't True. get a Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck bromance moment right. to save the day in the end. There is there is no hope for humanity is basically the message of this movie. And so it does hit hard and it does hit heavy. And for a comedy to make you feel worse about the world when you leave the theater, it, it clearly packs a powerful punch. That said, I, I don't think I'd put it up there with with um, some of Adam McKay's better work from from years past. So I'm not sure how I feel about this one actually getting nominated for Best Picture. I'm still on the fence. Yeah, the only one that I, I really think, you know, he should have won for that was so good was was The Big Short. You know, I, I wasn't crazy about Vice, but at least this here feels more reminiscent of, of The Big Short than Vice did. Um, you know, Vice actually feels very similar to Winning Time, the dynasty of, of the LA Lakers. And honestly, like, Kev, you got to check out that show, man. It's so good. Well, I know now that now that I'm past Oscar season, I am so excited to catch up on lots of shows and movies that I've had recommended to me. And that's certainly near the top of my list. Fantastic. Well, let's move on to our next category and see who's at the top of this list with our picks. We're going into cinematography for Dune, Greg Frazier, for Nightmare Alley, Dan Lawson, for The Power of the Dog, Ari Wegner, for The Tragedy of Macbeth, Bruno Delbonel, and for West Side Story, Janusz Kaminski. All of these cinematographers deserve to be yep. in this category. Oh, such a hard category to pick. Stacked. Like West Side Story, if anything is to be celebrated, is the choreography of the cinematography and the way they captured the look of this sort of vintage time period. And just loving the motion of the camera. Macbeth with its like use of black and white and those harsh shadows. Power of the Dog, the longing shots that just felt so immersive. And the way things were layered with indoor and outdoor and how you can interact with those spaces. Absolutely beautiful. Nightmare Alley, that's probably the best thing I could say that that movie had going for it is that it looked really creepy. But I'm giving this to Dune. Greg Frazier deserves this award for what he achieved because the cinematography with the visual effects that we talked about before, this is where it really elevated the the look and feel of how Dune was going to be different from all the other space noise stuff around it, like Star Wars. Uh, it had its own unique look, and I think they've masterfully figured that out with Greg Frazier, and that will propel them into more movies and, and having a distinct look. 
Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, Janus uh, Kaminsky for West Side Story takes what you know is a very lived-in sort of rough and tumble, you know, you know, urban environment and makes it polished and shine um, because of the subject matter. It's very romanticized the way that movie's shot. But yeah, I gotta say, dude, Dune is definitely my pick. Um, I think you know, stunning in IMAX. If like, if it ever comes back to IMAX, that's really the only way I ever really want to watch this movie. Um, it does such an excellent job of, of showing off so many shots. Um, and the fact that a lot of them are of the desert, but still so varied, um, is really cool. I think the ultra wide shots that he uses, uh, to show kind of the scope and the scale of the movie, but then also like the super dark, like really darkly lit shots that kind of create these sort of um, silhouettes of characters that are meant to be evil is so well done, dude. It just captured Arrakis in such a great way that transports you. Greg Frazier, I mean, the guy did the Batman. So, I mean, if, if he's not on your radar yet, like, come on, yeah, dude. And, and the guy. other thing, too, is that if he if he doesn't win this year, I do think Batman is going to be nominated for cinematography for their achievements because yeah. very much like Dune, he defined a new look to the yeah. superhero genre that sure, felt for this for the space action genre. Yeah, exactly. For the yeah. space action yeah. genre, but he's doing the same thing in the superhero category now with this, right. this, this very lengthy process of reprocessing and, and putting it back on film. Like it's crazy. The amount of stuff that goes into what he's done with that and, and why he's, he, he's built that look. So Greg Frazier hasn't won an Oscar, and I think if he if he's going to win an Oscar, it, it should be for Dune. I mean, I, I honestly think Dune was literally made to win this category, if any <laughs> of them. So that's it, 100% one Dune other for one. me as well. But I can't believe you you didn't give a shout-out to the one that I had second on my list, and that's um, Bruno Del Bonnell for Tragedy of Macbeth. I thought just mm. the way this movie was shot and framed, some of the the choices that were made in terms of even just the, the witches at the beginning and the way oh they're gosh, framed dude. in the, the puddle and everything. They're just, there's some amazing, beautiful, stunning shots in this movie that I just think really uh, are worth mentioning in this category. A hundred percent. But I think that leans very heavily on production design and thinking of that staging and that theatricality. And then it does come through, obviously, with the camera work. It is a is it, it is a ballet. So that's where I think it deserves to win more so than cinematography. But yes, you're right. The, that coupling definitely helped propel and, and create that, you know, again, that that sort of claustrophobic uh, aesthetic that felt contained on stage like I, I can't say enough about how the outdoor environment just felt like it was on the stage as well like it just felt so much like it was uh, a theater production but outside it was crazy but I feel like a lot of it was uh shot in, in <laughs> inside right and um, yeah, it was, but yeah. I, I get I get what you're saying but I think Honestly, even just the challenge of having to f to film that with the with the idea of it being in a four by three aspect ratio for today's cinematographers, like that's a that's that's, that's, that's very no trendy small right feat. now. That well, yeah, that's what is IMAX it? is though. IMAX is is oh, actually okay. a square. It's a one by one, right? Uh, more more or less, it's a little bit longer on top. I think if if I'm not mistaken, but the the idea is that. You know, you don't do that and just say, oh, we'll do it in post. That's intentionally part of yeah. the process Smart. from very early on. And, you know, they're when they're filming on the sets, 
they have a frame, a map box that's on the screen that's showing them what is in the square frame, right? So, uh, you know, again, who knows what sort of behind-the-scenes trickery they did. I would be interested to see uh, something in that in that vein, though, for the tragedy of Macbeth. But, yeah, Dune all the way, man. <laughs> Dune all the way. Um, and, and while I'll give huge credit to uh, Macbeth, or the tragedy of Macbeth for the cinematography, I'll also give it credit for its pacing, which is not the case for our next nominee for Best Picture. From producer Terahisha Yamamoto, Drive My Car tells the story of a renowned stage actor and director who learns to cope with his wife's unexpected passing when he receives an offer to direct a production of Uncle Vanya in Hiroshima. And let me tell you folks, that's just the first 40 minutes. I, you guys haven't seen this, correct? No. no, no. So no. I'm just going to take over here and rant a little. So I'm watching this movie and it's happening and it's happening and it's happening. And all of a sudden, about 43 minutes in, we get our title sequence. 43 wow. minutes oh. in. And I went and, and the first 43 minutes is the description I just read you. And then the movie starts. So I basically <laughs> wow. buckled in because I knew it was going to be a long <laughs> night. Uh, yeah. And I will say, I will honestly say. The performances here are great. Uh, there's some really beautiful shots. Uh, the story being told is a, wor- a worthy story to be told. If it had been done in two hours instead of three, I think this movie would have been infinitely better. When they mm. say drive my car, there are... Well, if you thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was bad for dialogue-free scenes of just driving, quadruple it. Each time it happens in this movie, there are just five, six minute long stretches of driving down highways. And it's not even like the, the scenery is all that interesting. Certainly right. not for the whole five or six minute stretch each time it happens. And it just keeps happening. I just, mm. I, 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 I hate to say because I did enjoy the story being told and the performances. I, I couldn't wait for this movie to be over. I just... I want it. If you if if you're gonna drive my car again, might as well drive it off the cliff, Thelma and Louise style. Because I don't want to. I don't want to do it. I know you guys didn't watch it. You you dodged a bullet. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I I I still intend to before uh, the Oscars do air. But 100 percent for this for this process of what we're doing here today, I didn't feel it necessary because I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. But from everything I have heard about it, uh, you know, the sort of longing, very. Uh, ephemeral moments that are like living in a moment that is to be kind of celebrated it's you know this eye of of of, of the story if you will so um i'm interested to see it i will i will still watch it fuck i watched nightmare alley and i'm like i, I don't even think i finished it i fell asleep like it was you know what I mean? oh so. my goodness <laughs> oh we're gonna we're gonna have a I'll fun probably, conversation i'll finish that, that. i'm up. gonna finish that one <laughs> i will i'll finish that one later too I'll, t- I'll tell you what, there was a moment in this movie where it says two years later, and it felt like it, okay? <laughs> it felt like it. Uh, why don't we just move right along? Uh, our next category is one that Nate insisted we include in the program, so I did that just for him. Of course, I'm talking about original score. The nominees are Don't Look Up, Nicholas Bertel, Hans Zimmer for Dune, Jermaine Franco for Encanto, Alberto Iglesias for Parallel Mothers, and Johnny Greenwood for The Power of the Dog. Dude. Dune. 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 <laughs> like, are you kidding me right now? Like, it is, like, my parents are just, they all just woke up. Uh, dude, I'm telling you right now, 
Hans Zimmer is just one of those composers that can draw you in with his music, and it resonated with me. I still feel the drum beat in my chest. Guys, yes. like I still feel yes. it. it. It's not just because of the IMAX. Like I remember it, the feeling of it, and it just hits so well. Dune, one hundred percent, is deserves this. And I will say, the only other thing that I could possibly think of would be like the power of the dog, but nope. but mostly because it nope. emulated a score from another movie. <laughs> like it, yeah. you know what I mean? Like nope. I, I don't know, man. Dune is Dune takes it for Dune sure. Dune is where it's at, dude. I'm telling Dude. you, it's. W- <laughs> I didn't even have to look at the list, and when I heard, saw original score, Dune, Hans Zimmer, he's gonna win because that, as you described, it it left you with a resonating feeling of that music, like it was so essential. If it doesn't win best cinematography, fine, it needs to win score because I think above all things, that's the one thing that stood out for me. That th- music was just so essential to that experience and really propelled doomed to not feel like star wars it felt like its own thing right just from yep. the score oh so good yeah i mean uh, if there's an award for anything to do with sound just get up on the stage whoever worked on dune just get up there and get you like if, if it's the music in this category for sound you could i could feel sand blowing into my eyes as it was across the screen i mean anything totally. to do with sound dune just kills it uh i do want to give a quick shout out uh, to my boy Lin Manuel Boranda, uh, Encanto has some of the the best Disney music in a long, long time, and I really found myself enjoying that. Wow. So I do want to give a quick shout out there. Um, but I also want to say Johnny Greenwood is super overrated. If it's if anything he did this year goes to show, uh, but I mean at least the power of the dog wasn't nearly as obnoxious and ill fitting as his other score, which was for no, Spencer. Yeah. Spencer was, yeah, the, you know. So I mean, Johnny Greenwood just did not do much for me this year, and and I'm not sure what the power of of the dog did to separate itself from any western I've ever seen. Really? Yeah, I just I just didn't find it all that incredible. But I mean, this category is just so different. How are you going to compete with Hans Zimmer in this category? Get up! Well, there, no, Hans. for sure. I I Get totally I agree with you there. I 100 percent agree that you know Hans Zimmer is going to take this award uh, because he 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 built a world from music for dune it's it's incredible so yeah and again another another tribute or another parallel with star wars where the music is such an integral part of that world 100 percent. so yes. too it yes. is an integral part here uh but we're yep. at the halfway point of the show so i think we're going to look at Ooh. two best picture nominees and the first is absolutely perfect uh it's dune uh, from producers Mary Perrant, <laughs> Denise Villeneuve, and Kale Boyder, Dune is a feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's science fiction novel about the son of a noble family entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and the most vital element in the galaxy. I mean, we literally have not... It feels like it's nominated for so much that we've already talked about <laughs> talked about all of it, but, dude, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where, yes, did I feel the length of watching Dune? I did. Did I mind it as much as some of these other movies? No. No, actually. Not for a now second. that I think about it, it was just it 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 transports you as I said to a different world. You 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 see and appreciate as a sci-fi fan what, you know, the original has inspired and if this is pulling from that then you it still, you know, is inspiring. Um and it's just 
I, I, I just am so enthralled with the, the storyline. I'm so happy they're doing a part two. I'm, I'm so happy that all got sorted. I, I was so worried when it said part one where I was like, oh, no, like, are they, is that it? Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see where they where they go with with it going forward. But it is such a, a wonderful sci-fi movie that deserves to be in the best pictures list. And that's cool. That's really cool as a geek that I can say that that sci-fi ass sci-fi movie is in best picture. But I mean, I know for myself personally, this was one I wasn't looking forward to. And I left the theater maybe more excited than anybody in our group, which isn't to say that everybody wasn't just absolutely in love with it. Uh, but it just blew my socks off. Like you said, Nate, it is long and it, and it takes you on a journey. But I was down for that journey every second of the way. Even, it, even if it felt like you were walking through those deserts with them and my feet hurt, that was part of the power of it because my eyes hurt from that blistering sun and the blowing sand. And, and I guess physically for real, my chest hurt from just one of the most incredible IMAX experiences I've ever had in my life. And I don't think that should be how a movie's measured. But when you can capitalize on a movie format to that extent. I've seen so many movies that I, I saw in IMAX, but I didn't need to. It didn't change anything. Yep. That just enhanced yep. what was already an incredible uh, an incredible movie. And I think it's what, what's really remarkable is that this was the first of the 10 best pictures that any of us would have seen. And it still has one of the most powerful lingering effects on me still. I still, I still feel that movie as if it was just last week that I saw it. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this movie... Going into it, I was excited because it was Denis Villeneuve doing, you know, a space movie in his style. And I, I love everything this guy does. And he, he did not disappoint with this movie. Um, it is a shame that he is not nominated for Best Director. Yeah. But that being said, you know, he is getting recognized here in Best Picture. Will he win? Like, I don't know. Like, that would be the surprise for me. Like I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I don't think it doesn't deserve it. I just think it it does have contention with the nine other movies that are in this list, uh, that you know again, are gonna probably hit differently for the Academy that's voting. Um, the Academy, yeah, yeah, the Academy. But he is yeah. he is recognized. Like he is like if if they do win, he is gonna be on stage accepting. He that. gets to and, go and get a trophy, and you're yeah, right, exactly. Justin. That would be yeah. a huge surprise, yeah. but it would be a welcome one for a movie that is so big, that is in a genre like this, that has so many special effects, that that does, you know, uh, incorporate a lot of soundtrack, you know, or score and everything like that. It just, it takes everything that it has and does it so well and puts it into this just really complete, overwhelming package. I think what you're saying is that it celebrates filmmaking in its its best way with, with its editing, its visual effects, its cinematography, its sound. It it is a masterpiece of of just everyone coming together to bring this movie to life. And I, I totally agree with you. That that on a, that merit alone, it deserves to win Best Picture. But you know, again, it's it's there's just there's some really great movies in this list that I think are gonna hit differently. Well, with it not being nominated in so many different areas, you know, a lot of these nominations it's and and what it's nominated for really plays off of the different senses and the movie is a sensory overload right and so i think that's why a lot of these things stuck with us so much um Mm -hmm. and it makes sense why it is sort of in so many different varied spots uh on the on the night so i do hope it does clean up a a lot of those awards but we'll see yeah because usually you know you would see them these movies sort of scattered in, in all these different categories, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, 
yeah, like it it kind of dominated. It has ten. It's nominated for ten different Oscars, if I'm not mistaken, this year. So, and it didn't get best director, which is just it's kind of a, a huge diss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you not celebrate the person that kind of is responsible for putting all that together, for bringing and it all together, exactly? All yeah, yeah, that's a real shame. Well, our next best picture is on a much smaller scale. Uh, it's considered by many to be a shoe-in for an award we'll talk about later, uh, and it's in a genre of film that I am here for all day, any day of the week. Uh, from producers Tim White, Trevor White, and Will Smith, King Richard is a look at how tennis superstars Venus and Serena Williams became who they are after the coaching from their father, Richard Williams. And I'll just jump right off here because, again, I'm a big... I love any sports movie you can throw at me. Uh, when you get one of this quality, I really do think it's a rare treat. When you can get a... a, a I mean, it's not really a sports movie. It's, it's, a, it's a movie about family and, and pushing someone to be their very best self. Uh, but when you can get performances like we did here, not just from our two adult leads, but from the kids who were portraying these... Kids. Yes. These larger-than-life superstars. Mm -hmm. I think everyone does just a terrific job here. And I think the movie itself did a really great job of taking one of the most fascinating sports stories ever and bringing it to the light. Because everybody knows who Serena and Venus are now. But the story of where they came from and how they got to where they are is almost as interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I think you're absolutely right there. I think... Even though tennis is obviously the heart of the story or is meant to be the heart of the story or the heart of their journey, let's say, the family dynamic, the way the cast worked together was was next level. Like this, this is an, a great ensemble cast that does really come together and tell this story really well. And I think, again, it feels it feels very honest without having to be overly dramatized do you know what i mean does that does that make sense like it doesn't feel like it's it's overextending the drama just for the sake of it it's it's playing with more or less i think the real things that they needed to deal with at that time of them really trying to you know prove their worth both racially and and in the sport and as females I think there's just so many different layers that obviously there's a relatability to, again, the current times. And again, that's always good qualities for best picture when, when you can look at your in your own life and outside your window and understand how a movie is is telling you something about the world that you currently live in. Yeah, man. Uh, Demi Singleton um, and Sania Sidney, like, again, for just being kids, like, again, not seeming like they were acting at all. It just felt like I was just watching these kids who were really invested and shout out to John Bernthal, by the way, for portraying Rick Macy in this movie. So good. A completely different role than I've ever seen him. Like I'm only used to ever seeing like him in roles where he's like, like he's just angry all the time. A grizzled asshole, him. basically. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like that's on his resume. And so to see him in this, he was, um, he was fantastic. Uh, Anjanou Ellis, again, phenomenal moments with her in the movie. I, I, I felt like there could have been a little bit more of her on screen, but obviously the focus is on Will, which yeah, we will be will be discussing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, the movie is it's just one of those movies where again, I'm not into sports. Uh, I'm definitely not into tennis but that much. Yeah. But this movie is obviously so much more than that. But it also yes, makes me exactly. wish that I had paid more attention to the sport of tennis as this was all happening. I granted, I was younger, but still, it's just one of those movies that. But would makes you have appreciated you, it as much? Well, a movie that makes you want to study up on the source material, 
that it's from if it's based on a in on true events sure. long after yeah, you've watched the movie saying. that yeah. is that's dope and especially for a sports movie for me per, in person like personally that's that's awesome well and and speaking of you know the source material being based on a true story um one of my favorite people working in Hollywood right now is Aaron Sorkin and he does a lot of biopic style movies that don't tell true stories or at least he alters events a lot to craft a story of his liking this movie is so true to everything that happened for those kids and their father growing up it is it is a play-by-play of what actually happened and it, it makes it almost hard to believe that these things all happened the way they did but they did and it's king richard Williams is some sort of prophet to have been able to foresee everything that would befall his family uh, going forward because of hard work, dedication, and just sheer drive. And I got to say, this movie has one of my favorite jokes of any movie that I've seen this year. And it's when he points to the golf cart and says, I'm going to be driving that. And then the next scene, they flash forward a bit, <laughs> and it's literally him driving yeah. the golf cart around the campus. That That's just brilliant writing, a brilliant moment. I loved it. Very cool. Uh, well, I think it's time to move on to our next category. And our yes. next category is animated feature film. We have Encanto, mm-hmm. Flea, Luca, The Mitchells versus the Machines, and Raya and the Last Dragon. Well, I'll tell you which one it's not going to be. R- Raya and the Last Dragon. That's I think sure. that is easily yeah, the think. weakest of this group here. That is like, a, for sure, uh, yeah. we need a fifth movie. Just give it to that other Disney one. Yeah, I, I I mean, don't get me wrong. If if this category was focused on like visuals within animation, it has a it's it's a very strong looking. I still movie. think, but sure. if we're talking about the film, I still overall, think Luca. If you're gonna do that, Luca's a far would, prettier and nicer uh, film to look at than that. I don't think Raya has anything that's better than one or two or more of these movies have that that they do better. Well, from from a world standpoint, there was some vibrancy to Raya and the Last Dragon, but there was like this sort of gray palette. It was a world sort of uh, building exercise with Raya and the Last Dragon. And I feel like with Luca, it is very much about playing off the vibrancy, those coastal colors, that that Italian uh, Riviera vibe, if you will. So it leverages that and definitely speaks more to to that of, of, of feeling vibrant, if you will. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. This is tough. I, I feel like... I want to go with Mitchell's versus the machine, but I haven't seen flea and Kevin has me very intrigued about what he, what his takeaway from flea was for, 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 so I'd love to know how, how, what you thought of this movie. I mean, I will just say all of these movies are are perfectly fine. They're all good in, in varying degrees, but they're all kind of just more of the same. I've seen Mm -hmm. similar versions of all of these animated movies, I have never seen an animated movie like Flea. And it does not have the best animation by far in this category. Perhaps it's the worst in terms of, but that's not what this movie's about. It's the, right. the medium of animation is used story. in such a unique way. And it's actually right. used to disguise the identities of the people who are involved in this. In particular, the main character who's giving his his life story or or telling of a harrowing time in his life. And it's just such a unique and fascinating way to tell a story that would otherwise be, you know, stock historical footage sort of portraying this time in his life. And instead they've used animation to sort of almost 
almost softened the the harrowing experience that he's talking about, but also again to disguise the people and the places that are involved. It's, it was I've never seen anything like it. Well, it goes back to that Brad Bird quote that you know I think I tweeted it out a while ago, but you know animation is a narrative choice it's it's you're choosing to use it for the purpose of the story that you're trying to tell and it it does sound like from what you're describing that was it because i i agree with you i think the commonality between ryan the last dragon the mitchells versus the machine luca and Encanto is obviously it's more of the same but you know diff, different sort of stories but they they have varying layers i think the Mitchells versus the Machine probably stuck with me the most out of all of these animated movies. Again, I haven't seen Flea, but it was the one that I think is incredibly relatable. It has an honest story about family. It, it talks about, you know, our, our relationship with technology and, and that sort of distancing. It also has, I believe, like, again, a, a queer character in it for, 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 uh, they don't really define that, but I think that they've pretty much they hint hinted at, at that, it enough. That is, yeah. That you definitely got it. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm really interested to see Flea. I, I could be changing my opinion later about this because it does sound like something that I could do. But I, I'm going to go with Mitchell's versus the Machines. I'll agree with you. Mitchell's versus the Machines is the most enjoyable of all of these for me. And I talked about it in our Turning Red um, uh, review, available now wherever you listen to podcasts, about how I haven't found a lot of these animated movies to have the, the same kind of sense of fun and, and in particular to be as funny as I remember them being. And Mitchell's versus the Machines captured that. It was it was hilarious for an animated movie. I really really enjoyed that. I just think for for Flea to be nominated for not just best animated, but for best documentary and best international film, it just it carries so much weight to it. That's that crazy. You don't That's see. crazy that it's in all of it's those. It's in categories. all of those categories, and <laughs> I've never seen an animated film sort of be represented in, right. in the, those kind of bigger, loftier categories like that. Right. Right. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely want to check out Flea. I think um, my heart says Mitchell's versus the Machines. Um, it's a critical success. I think more than than like a, a wider yeah, yeah, success. Yeah. I think um, from an animation standpoint alone, it is very much so original in terms of its style and its visuals. And I think it hammers home Sony Animation's style like the after after spider-verse and then this movie that was the moment where i sort of was like oh oh that's their style that's their voice and for a movie to do that i think that deserves the accolade of, of definitely getting nominated and and i i want it i want it to win i really do but i think with soul taking it last year i think disney just kind of has this way with with a lot of like a more broader audience and i feel like Encanto has stayed in the public conversation longer than Mitchell's versus the machines. I know Mitchell's versus really? the machines is a little unfair. It came out er earlier, yeah. but I, I just, I would love, listen, I'd love to be wrong on this. I'd love Mitchell's versus the machines to take it. I think it's going to Encanto. I, you think it's going to go right to Encanto. Oh, wow. Okay. If Mitchell's versus the machine doesn't get it, it's because it was released to a streaming platform and not in theaters. But I mean, power of the dog. Isn't that a Netflix release? It is. So I don't think it's going to win Best and Picture. So let's oh. solve. You know, oh, so okay. This well, is we'll, okay. this well, we'll isn't the year that Netflix <laughs> finally uh, pops that bubble, eh? Nope. No. Uh, but I, I do love uh, Nate. You, you don't want to talk about Bruno, but you feel like you have to. Uh, and speaking <laughs> like and speaking to. of things I don't want to talk about, why don't we move into our next nominee for Best Picture from producers Sarah Murphy, Adam Somner, and Paul Thomas Anderson. 
Licorice Pizza is the story of Alana Kane and Gary Valentine growing up, running around, and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in the San Fernando Valley in 1973. And I'll tell you what, that sounds like a lovely little premise. And it would be if it didn't involve a 25-year-old woman and a 15-year-old boy. Yeah, it was like yeah. it was really strange. This Weird. is creep factors to a thousand, and if the roles were reversed, Paul Tam- Thomas Anderson would never be allowed to make another film again. I just yeah. I find it yeah. so weird that people are just loving this movie, and it doesn't bother them that the, the central core of it is a is a is a rightfully forbidden romance. Yeah, yeah, I know it's it's very true. Yeah, it it's it's it is strange. I feel like you know we've we've started to see this explored and i think even in power of the dog we see a bit of that explored mm-hmm. in these these interesting age gap romances um that are you know i think in in a lot of the movies they're portrayed as something that really uh shouldn't necessarily be happening um but in this one it, it it's 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 okay it, it, you're right it kind of feels like yeah it kind of feels like you're you're just being told like hey no this, this is, is fine it's, it's normalizing you want to totally yeah, fine. It's it's you're supposed yeah. to be rooting for them as they're running down the street into each other's yeah. arms and and i was going no it just no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what for for me though the biggest thing was was that the movie itself i i just never felt connected to the characters enough. In fact, I actually felt more connected to the politician. Honestly, Benny Safdie, for me, I cared more about his character in one scene than I did about these other two characters throughout the entire movie. And I just, I don't know, man. I I think there were a lot of aspects about it that I think played to Hollywood. I think played to the sort of the same audience that they that the I academy. think um, it played to the academy the academy 100%. right just like just like how Tarantino did with uh once with upon a time once upon a time in Hollywood right like it, yeah. it, I got a lot of those vibes from it but this one just didn't by the end of it I was just kind of like okay we watched that I guess I don't know man and there was some weird stuff with like the commentary social commentary on like uh, you know, uh, Japanese, like how Japanese people, yeah, I, yeah. you know, were treated or just ultimately, yeah, that, that part, like a lot of the racial that part, stuff didn't work. That part took me right out of the movie. You know, I, I was already having uh-huh. problems with it, but at that point it kind of took me out because it just, it, it felt like a cheap gag for no particular reason. And it was just so oddly placed. I, I don't, I don't understand whoever wrote that scene if it was Paul Thomas Anderson, that just didn't work for me. It took me. Well, right yeah, that's 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 one of the issues. There's so many little things that are touched upon, but to to no avail and with no substance. With the the weirdly racist Japanese jokes that that don't have a even a punchline that redeems it or some sort of moral compass that that explains why it's wrong. It just happens and we move on. Uh, there's yeah. the the story with with the politician and his forbidden love. And it's shoehorned into the last fifteen minutes of the movie. It's there, and then it goes away and never, nothing never happens. gets talked yeah. about, and nothing comes from it. And one of the biggest shames I found in this is that I found the character Gary Valentine kind of fascinating. I was digging his story and his story of like making it and and sweet talking his way to success yeah. and hustling. Yeah. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. And then yeah. every time the character of Elena came on screen. That movie ground to a halt. I hated every aspect of her character beyond just being 
a, a weird pedophile. It was she was terrible to everybody in her life. She was a horrible person. She was rude. She was mean. She was arrogant. And and she just sucked the kind of fun out of the story in the movie that I was having with the Gary Valentine character. If if it was about him and his experiences in 1973, like you said, Justin, trying to hustle his way through, I would have enjoyed the movie infinitely more. I think it's it's like I think the other thing too is it's trying to show the aspect of like men are are shitty and and it shows different points in his life of he's trying to emulate and be like all of these different people shitty people and then but right and then he sort of learns through these experiences that he but i don't think he did Um, i don't think he did i honestly don't think he no (laughs) i think he just accepted the fact like that's my thing i i I agree with you that there was that juxtaposition of that but i don't think the character has that resolve and and to kevin's point it's all of these things throughout this the film that they kind of just you know throw at you but they don't really give any resolve it just it felt very incomplete and and it definitely plays to the crowd of the academy and yeah i I, Mm -hmm. was not my favorite well the academy are weird people and and (laughs) if that's the case but like you said (laughs) he does nothing to improve or change his behavior and yet he still gets the girl. And again, it's not because of anything he did. She just struck out so many times with other guys. She's like, ah, I'll just go for the kid. He's easy pickings. Ah, romance, you know, love. Like, that, that's not what I want to see when you're telling. Romance shouldn't be easy and it shouldn't be perfect and everything. But it shouldn't be wrong in every single way. And that's just all the vibes I mm. got from this movie, unfortunately. Interesting. Uh, now, mm. speaking of Licorice Pizza, its uh, director was nominated in our next category. Let's see if you can guess it. Yep, that's right. It's Best Director. We're getting into the heavy hitters now, uh, our, our big categories. For Belfast, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. For Drive My Car, Ryusuke Hamaguchi. For Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson. For The Power of the Dog, James Campion. And for West Side Story, Steven Spielberg. Um, I, I think that Jane Campion's going to gonna win this she's been killing it in the in the award circle right now um and i think she deserves it she created such an odd tension uh and she crafted a a really interesting story that again i was i think i was saying it to nate uh offline but like it's funny how both ang lee and now jane campion who are both outside of american culture are are coming in and, and telling a cowboy story and they're playing with this whole subtext of boys will be boys to the point of you know there's probably relations that happen and intimate relations and that you know there's a real love not just with nature but with men and and this sort of companionship they're going a very opposite direction than the typical american western personification of cowboy heroes and so on and so forth so she's creating such a an immense amount of tension throughout this movie i don't know i just thought it was it was well done and and she does deserve this recognition for it if denise Villeneuve was on here though i'd probably be saying his name though yeah i think um to me again this is a matter of like heart and head with a lot of these um and strategizing and trying to figure out okay really what's going to happen here I, I I would love to see Kenneth Branagh for Belfast. I think uh, just a lot of the decisions that were made in terms of the directing of that movie were were fantastic, mm-hmm. and I just think it 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 very well could take he could take this. Um, but my my uh, my head is saying, yeah, Jane is Jane is going to take this for Power of the Dog. I think it's interesting coming off of the conversation of Licorice Pizza again, the direction of how they decided to take that story, especially from the romance side to the direction of how they portrayed this story in the sense that it is almost the same narrative that we're, or the same, you know, situation that we're dealing with. 
in terms of a, a love story, but it's the way that they portray it. It's teetering on that edge. At no point in time did I ever want it to happen, but but it, at the same time you're still watching it take place. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it, you're not it's 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 leaning into it. That's in, the tension. The, sort of the uncomfortability yeah, of it. The that's tension. part of that tension, yeah, right? Exactly. And and you're kind of just like like don't don't go down this path. But I think that's that's captured, and I think that direct that direction that they took the movie in that way. Um, was cool, and I do think I do think the power of the dog is interesting in that it's it's a movie that you almost have to like think on for a little bit before you fully make your 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 assessment of it. Because even just talking to you guys now about a lot of this stuff, I'm kind of going back on it and thinking about it in a better light. Um, but I think for directing, she is going to. Yeah, I, I agree 100. Uh... I agree. If Denny Villeneuve was here, it's it's his award. Just get up on stage and and get the the trophy you deserve. But for many of the same reasons, I think with the the nominee, I mean, and get Paul Thomas Anderson out of here and put him right there. That's my easy subtraction and replacement. But in many of the same ways with what Denny did with his movie, Jane Campion does here in that she takes a whole bunch of other elements and they don't necessarily they're not necessarily great or the best of these elements, but they're, they're really good. And she is able to bring these all together and really craft the end product. Yeah. And that's what I really appreciate from what she did here. Um, I'll probably have a bit more to say about power of the dog when we get to it as our nominee, but no, I think, I think this is her award. We're going to get uh, back to back years of, of female directors uh, getting their, their, their just desserts, their due and their, their, their recognition. And I think that's really awesome that uh, we're seeing that happen with the Academy. But before we get to um, a uh, best picture that uh, I, I think we all enjoyed to varying degrees, let's move into one that I don't think uh, many of us enjoyed, or at least not as much as others. From producer Guillermo del Toro, J. Miles Dale, and Bradley Cooper, Nightmare Alley tells the story of an ambitious carny with a talent for manipulating people who, with a few well-chosen words, hooks up with a female psychologist who is even more dangerous than he is. I um I went into this movie expecting a Guillermo Guillermo del Toro movie, and I got that for about maybe forty minutes of the movie, <laughs> and then the rest of it really didn't to me feel in line with a lot of what he does, yeah. which is fine. Like again, it's cool to to try your hand at different things and to, and to go that route. The movie for me. It was frustrating to watch in a lot of segments because very similar to what you were kind of talking about um, with with Licorice Pizza in terms of like setting things up or or showing things, it kind of just moves on from yeah. stuff in a way that I I get it. We're following this character through his journey, mm -hmm. but I kind of wanted to stay in some mm -hmm. of these moments a little bit longer. And at times, and I, I told Justin this off air, I was like, at times it sort of feels like you're watching a um, a, a previously on. Like previously on, you know, like, and I was just like, I didn't, I don't know why they had to cut between some of these sequences so quickly and, and not let us experience them with these characters. I just, I don't know, man. I, I, I get that it's a long movie to begin with, but maybe split these ideas up a little bit more. Maybe, you know, look at an aspect of a sequel if you really want to tell this much of a story. I think actually, you know what? It would have worked much better as a series. A hundred percent. If this was an, a limited series, eight episodes, yeah. dude. But I, but I think dude. the things you're you're wanting them to focus on aren't important, right? And and I think what you're talking about is actually one of the things that I loved most about this movie. I would put this 
maybe in my top three of the 10 Best Picture nominees. I was shocked at how much I enjoyed it, and maybe because it wasn't a Guillermo del Toro movie that you were sort of imagining going in. But what I liked is, even up until the last 15 minutes, I really didn't know where this movie was going. I found it really unpredictable in terms of how things kept, the, the, the plot just kept changing and evolving and quickly shifting into a new part of, of this guy's journey into madness and his descent. And, and again, I liked that. Unlike something like Coda, where about five minutes in, you know where it's going. It's predictable, and that's fine. It works sure. for a movie like that, whereas sure. this is the complete opposite. I had no idea what was going to happen until he gets on the train with the chicken coops, and I went, oh, no, uh, he's he's going to become uh, the namesake of this show in a bit here. But, no, I really, really liked how I had to keep guessing as to who who was doing what and why they were pulling the strings and how this character was going to backstab or manipulate the other. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't have much to say about this one okay, no. I fell asleep through it. Yeah. So, oh, there we um, go. But I'll definitely have to check it out and finish watching it. But I, yeah, I wasn't feeling the vibe. And I, I think very much like Nate, it was it was expecting a Guillermo del Toro film and not really getting that. Like, it almost felt like, like you know where Tim Burton does Big Fish and that was refreshing? Like, that was different for Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. I think that's what this is supposed yeah. to be for Guillermo del Toro. But I, I also feel like maybe that's not what people want. Do you know what I mean? I like, mean, to be to be fair, this is a remake, right? So he, he can't change the story too, too much. He has to work with. Sure. Didn't and I that. think he obviously was really, really drawn in by that first act um, in the mm-hmm. in the carnival with the freak show element oh, yeah, and everything sure. like that. And obviously, that's where he could really put his flair. But even just there, I thought the production design, how you went from the, the really gritty and, and almost terrifying carnival into the lavish, huge, mm-hmm. high-ceilinged offices of the psychiatrist, and then into the mm-hmm. big sweeping vista of, of, um, uh, of, the, of the garden that plays such a pivotal role in the final act. I just, I thought it shifted really nicely to, from different situations and environments that sort of represented what was going on in the story. But with such a stacked cast, especially in the earlier part of the movie, I guess for me, I was just like, why did we leave them behind so quickly? Like, I just wanted more time with them, I guess. it. And honestly, and I think that speaks to, that's a good thing about the movie is I did want, I did want more of these moments and more of these incredible actors, but, but it just, I did, we didn't get that. So when you, I, I when know. you give me Tony Collette in the first 30 minutes of the movie and then just ditch her, it's, it's very Gone. upsetting. I, I will agree, but at least yeah. Bradley Cooper <laughs> is a really great leading man. And I thought he, at least had enough presence here to carry the movie enough throughout. Well, I'm glad one of the three of us actually enjoyed it. So that's good. And, and I bet you, and I bet you if we were to place bets before seeing it, I would have been the least likely to like it. So I always yeah, like it. Doomed when, you. It, it, it totally did the again. same thing. This me. Doomed were, yes. I actually was saying that to, uh, to Sarah earlier. Uh, but on that note, let's move into our, uh, uh, a final stretch here. Our next category is for best actress in a leading role. We have Jessica Chastain for the eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for the lost daughter, Penelope Cruz for parallel mothers, Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardos and Kristen Stewart for Spencer. Oh my gosh, dude. Can I just say like, okay, here's the thing. Kristen Stewart in Spencer completely turned me and I think a lot of people around on her and her capabilities 
as as an actress, I think she was phenomenal in that movie. Um, but Jessica Chastain, for me, in the eyes of Tammy Faye, just was completely transformed. And not just because of the makeup. The makeup enhanced it. But she, like, literally the very first scene of her just saying, yep, I that you know that's who I that's am who I my am. eyelashes are who yeah. I am that's who I am and then she just gives that longing stare into the mirror the moment that happens which is in the first like 10 seconds of the movie I was just like oh okay okay let's go this is this is a performance and she just was every single moment she was on camera she was Tammy Faye she was amazing um Jessica Chastain is getting the 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 Oscar for sure mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Nate. I, I totally agree. I think, you know, it wasn't that Kristen Stewart did an amazing job at acting. This was just in a great role for her to be Kristen Stewart. Do you know what I mean? Like, this was just a great role for her to be herself and sort of play a personality of her side. I, I feel like in many ways, Kristen Stewart was able to bring all of her own personality and her own life history to this character of Diana. And by the way, I don't think that this is an accurate depiction of Diana, I, I, I do believe that this is very much like the Aaron Sorkin that you referenced, Kevin, where it's a dramatization. It's a fictionized version of the character. But that being said, Kristen Stewart did her best acting here as Kristen Stewart. But after seeing the eyes of Tammy Faye and seeing this transformative performance that Jessica Chastain does in this movie, I was like, OK, there's your best actress. At the end of the day, she yeah. she became another person. Um, and yeah, I, I think she's going to take best actress to hundred percent. I really, really hope so. This, this was a powerhouse performance. She was almost unrecognizable. And we talked right at the top of the show about how the makeup played such an integral role and, and you could see her being consumed by it as her life around her was falling apart. And it was just such a, a powerful way to tell her story. And I think what's incredible is that this is a character who in real life, I've never had much respect for, but her portrayal of this character made me feel so sympathetic for her by the end. And I think that speaks volumes about what she did here. Unlike what Kristen Stewart did, where this is Twilight Kristen Stewart, mopey and whispery and quiet. And that's so not what people imagine when they think of the people's princess. Diana was was just this, this bright, wonderful presence in the world who did so many good things. And and so I think it speaks volumes that both Harry and William, the princes, have come out to say, this is not the kind of representation we want of our mother. This is, I think there's the one scene where she's playing soldiers with them in the bedroom late at night. And I think that was the only time you got to see an, an accurate representation. And the other just felt like, like trying to cover, it was almost like the royal family made this movie to tarnish her reputation a little bit. That's just how I came out of this. And so I didn't appreciate that performance so much. Yeah, that, that performance just really, really bugged me. I will say, Olivia Coleman does not have to be nominated every single year. And I'll tell you what, she was, <laughs> she, she didn't even play the best version of the character that she was playing in the same movie. Um, you know, um, and so it's just, I, I like Olivia Coleman. I just don't think we have to give her a nod every time she's in a movie. Yeah, I think um, for, in terms of, of Jessica Chastain, like, you know how we talk about, like, in the geek world of, like, no one else can play Tony Stark. No one else can play Wolverine. 
Oddly enough, I don't think anyone else in the entire world will ever convince me that they're Tammy Faye Baker more than <laughs> more than Jessica Chastain in this movie. Um, and dude, like, it's just I think it's a performance for her that is going like this is a career level sort of you know performance. Like this is this is a big one, and I I think. I think she's going to get the Oscar to uh, to cap it off. Mm-hmm. 100%. I totally agree. Uh, I know there's been a lot of conversation, too, around Nicole Kidman, uh, her portrayal of Lucille Ball in uh, Being the Ricardos. I got to say, I wasn't really impressed with this movie. Like, Nicole Kidman was the best part, so maybe that's why she deserves this nomination. But I don't know. I wasn't crazy about this movie. What about you guys? See, I, I like that movie a lot more than anybody else I know. It's it's okay. It was not nearly um, in the upper echelon or even the mid-echelon of, of what I've come to experience expect from from my boy but I thought her performance was great because this was an accurate representation of behind the scenes based on accounts Lucille Ball wasn't the quirky dumb character that she played in the I Love Lucy show she was smart and calculating and very very strong and very very independent and I thought they portrayed that really really well here especially to focus on such a an important and and difficult time in her life, you know, basically being outed incorrectly as a communist. Like, and so to, I think they did a great, she, Nicole did a great job of representing that behind the scenes strength that Lucille would have had to, to show to endure through such a difficult time. Interesting. But I'm, I'm the only one I've ever spoken to who, who gives that movie um, even a passing grade. So I might just have some Sorkin bias going on here and, and I'll forgive him for just about anything. Who knows? Um, but uh, let's move on to our next nominee for Best Picture. From producers Jane Campion, Tanya Sagachian, Emile Sherman, Ian Canning, and Roger Frappier, The Power of the Dog tells the story of charismatic rancher Phil Burbank, who inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he is finally exposed to the possibility of love. I think I, uh, you guys talked a lot about this when we were talking about Best Director, and, and I think you hammered on a lot of the narrative points that make this movie so powerful, uh, yeah. especially the idea of extreme masculinity to sort of hide or conceal truths about oneself that, that would be deemed... Uh, forbidden yeah, to, to hide homosexuality yeah. yes yeah exactly yeah and and i think and that that turning point in the movie where 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 he's sort of almost exposed by by peter in discovering his his secret place where he can sort of be free and and it's the only place he can be himself i found the movie i found that shocking and i thought it took such a, a an un, mm. a, a unpredictable but wonderful turn in terms of keeping me guessing about what was going on and and it just completely changed the story in all the right ways. And I just thought that was a really powerful moment to have almost two-thirds of the way through the movie. It was interesting because I feel like um, in, a, in a lot of ways, I was kind of watching the movie and sort of just feeling like, like why are these cowboys so sensitive? <laughs> like, why are they so, like, like I, you're, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, we're used to seeing cowboy rough and tumble and, like, yeah, exactly. oh, I don't pay no mind to feelings and, and things like that. And it kind of just serves as a reminder to kind of be like, well, no, like, they're human beings. Yep. Like, they all yeah. have feelings. Yeah. Um, and while they might not necessarily uh, share those feelings or express those feelings um, good enough or, or to the level of, of what sort of this movie captures – um, it, it is an interesting look at, at that sort of narrative and that, that, that 
sort of decision. Um, I think the aspect of them sort of all sort of hiding something. I thought Kirsten Dunst um, did a, a really good job as well, portraying kind of her character in terms of her uh, hiding a lot of that fear and masking it through through drinking and 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 kind of her alcoholism. But I just um, I I don't know, man. I felt like again to your point that we made earlier about pacing. How great would this movie have been if it was just a, a little bit, I think, shorter, honestly, because um, I, I didn't I didn't need it to go on for as long as it did. I didn't mind the pacing. I think it actually moved along yeah. fairly well, and especially at the turning point that, you know, Kevin brings up. It's almost at that moment, the the hunter and the prey kind of flip. You know what I mean? Like, you know, now. Peter knows that he he has something against Phil and he can leverage that in a way and but even uh, still so as on, an so. audience we don't know it's flipped that's sure. what I like we don't know right not until we, the end yeah we think he's end, still exactly. gonna be the hunter but in a in a different way and then all of a sudden his character changes and we think oh he's found somebody that he can be himself around this is nice this is yeah. nice but Peter ain't buying it for a second you know and Peter's sure. Peter's but working I, I, on his plan yeah. and I just thought the way they planted the seeds and and it's not like one of those movies where you get like a, a quick visual flashback of all the moments that led up to that big finale, but you can do it in your own head. And I just thought it was so powerful the way once it shifted, it all led to that that final climax. But I guess even if they were to keep the length, and again, without spoiling it, the movie just does, unfortunately, like it feels like it just ends. And it feels like it just sort of, we don't get enough of sort of the the resolution that we're looking for. There is a resolution, but it's, I feel like they could have just taken a little bit more time with that. Uh, but, but that section. ride off into the sunset moment, if you will, it didn't need to be five minutes. Like you want it to be shorter, but you want them to prolong other aspects of it. So you can't have it both ways, Nate. But no, I thought the way it ended, it was <laughs> like, Peter wins. He, he's, he's done what he set out to do. He realized what he needed to do early on and just had to figure out a way to do it. And he did it. I, oh, it's, and that, I think you mentioned it, Nate, where it was, the more you thought about it, the more you liked it. Because, yeah, I sort of yeah. sat there for a couple minutes after going, oh, man, I really like how that all came together. I don't know. This one This one sat with me. And I'd heard so many negative things, not from critics, mm-hmm. obviously. This is clearly a highly acclaimed movie. But from people whose opinions and movies I respect, I was getting a lot of, oh, boy, you're not going to like that one, Kev. And I, and I found myself really, really enjoying myself. Another Dune. My God, this is the year. I've been year. Duned. This is the year of just <laughs> duping Kev. I mean, maybe I just have to open my mind a little. Maybe that's what the lesson is here. You're a whole new Kev. I, 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 feel like, uh, I feel like the character in Clockwork Orange. I've had, my, I've had my eyeballs peeled open, and I've just been forced to watch, you know, 95 hours of movies I wouldn't normally. And now I'm just, I'm brainwashed into liking a little bit uh, different type of, of cinema now, perhaps. Uh, but why don't we move into uh, our second last category, which is for best actor in a leading role. For being the Ricardos, Javier Bardem. For the power of the dog, Benedict Cumberbatch. For Tick, Tick, Boom, Andrew Garfield. For King Richard, Will Smith. And for the tragedy of Macbeth, Denzel Washington. King Kong doth not have fecal matter upon me. <laughs> I don't know. I could not get into um, Denzel in this one. It was too Denzel. But it, I, I, I enjoyed it to the point of it's just a different portrayal of Hamlet. Like, I, if anything that felt different about it, it was his portrayal. Even Francis McDormand as, as Lady Macbeth. Like, I, both of them did a really great job at, at you know, 
playing up those characters. It's just the Shakespearean language that can really take you out of it. I watched the whole movie, dude. I don't know what they said the entire time. <laughs> right, exactly. The entire time. I might be really stupid, but I honestly, I got an, a gist of what the story was, but the whole thing, by the end of it, I was like, it's a simple story. I do not know a single thing yeah. they said. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, story. that was one we did in high school, so. High school, yeah. You know, and in high school, oh, okay. you have four Shakespeare stories that are broken down so much that you actually understand them, but otherwise, yeah, I have no idea what's going on dialogue-wise in a Shakespeare production ever. Um, and so at least, yeah. at least that one was really nice to look at and differentiated itself there. But don't don't feel bad, Nate. Shakespeare's a really specific and difficult thing to tackle. I want to give a shout out to Andrew Garfield in Tick Tick Boom. Um, I don't think he's going to win, but he is. He is so fantastic in Tick Tick Boom, and just the whole idea that like he he didn't know how to play music, and then I think Justin, you were telling me like he learned for this movie um, is just really really cool, and and he's he's just got such a great energy, and he's also one of those actors that like yeah, like even in Eyes of Tammy Faye, like he can play these different characters he's an actor. really well. He's not yeah. no, I get that, no, no, but no, I just no, mean I just no, mean no. like. I just mean like he's 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 not you know he's not Peter Parker in every single thing he does. Right. To the point of what you're saying Nate, you know, Andrew Garfield did such a great job with Tick Tick Boom. He's had such a solid year outside of Spider-Man, right? Like he is a great actor and this year of anything proved that. And I think Tick Tick Boom is a great example of it because you know, he learned singing, he played the piano, he he did both dramatic and theatrical performances at the same time. He really pushed himself as an actor, and I think he does deserve it more, but it's going to be that situation where it is seniority, right? Like, Will Smith is going to win this award because it's his time. There's It's more than likely that Andrew Garfield will get more nominations in the future, and his acting career will continue. But I do think that Will Smith might be on a bit of a victory lap. He, I think there's obviously some movies that we, we know, like uh, I Am Legend 2, that he's going to probably do. But I think he's going to slowly round out and maybe retire. I don't know. But I, who knows? He'll never he go might not anywhere. Retire. Yeah, that's true. That's, that is I true. think he said I Am Legend 2 is his last movie. I think I read that. <laughs> um, no, but I think, <laughs> I think, honestly, imagine that's his last movie. Oh, my gosh. Um, I think his ability to act with his whole body in this movie was what really hit me. I, I mean, I fully believed that he was this this dad that was this this age and he he wanted to do everything he could for his daughters. His portrayal was so good. His voice, you know, I think a lot of times when when actors do voices, it can start to feel really grating by the end of it because you, especially with an actor like Will Smith where you're like, I know what you sound like. Like, don't do that. But... In this movie, like here, I've I went back and as I said, like I looked up stories and I looked up newsreels from this movie. He sounds so much like Richard Williams. Yeah. I was just so shocked at how spot on mm. he was with this character portrayal. He's gonna win the Oscar for for you, you for really nailed it there because it, it, when you when you take on something like a, a bit of a lisp, it can it could really go sour. It can really come 100%. off. Just ask uh, Danny Glover in uh, I believe it was Shooter. Uh, um, <laughs> But no, Will Will is incredible here. Nate, you're right. Out in the rain, hitting hitting tennis balls, and you can just feel his crickety old knees. And from anything yeah. I know about Will Smith, I think he's a lot more uh, virile. He's in a lot better health than that. He's he's going. Even though he's probably very close to the age he's portraying in this movie, he never comes across 
nearly as old as he actually is in his mannerisms. And yeah, he sinks himself right into this role. It's 100% his, but no, Andrew Garfield uh, for the, the, the spiritual win here. The man made me just love a musical, and that is, again, just such a testament to what he did on screen. Yeah, Will Smith, if, if there is a role, like I, I was thinking about it, is I, there's other roles that he's been nominated for that I think he could have been recognized for, but when it, you think of this role and what it means and the level of acting that went into this portrayal, he definitely does deserve it for this one. It's, it's definitely not like Leonardo DiCaprio winning for Reverend when he could have probably won for something else down the road. Again, Reverend's great, don't get me wrong, but you know, I, I feel like you know Leo proved himself so many times when he was nominated for the Oscar that he could have won at a better time. So, you know, if Will Smith's going to win, it's got to be this one. But at least but at least with Will, that's a great point, Justin. At least if Will wins this one, he does deserve it. Whether it's yes. his best role or not, he does deserve this one. Does deserve it, it. This isn't exactly. just the you've earned it award. This is the you deserve exactly. it and have for a long time. No, that's a, that's a really great point. Uh, why don't we move into our final nominee for Best Pictures, from producers Steven Spielberg and Christy Makosko Krieger, my apologies as always, West Side Story is an adaptation of the 1957 musical which explores forbidden love and the rivalry between jets ah, and sharks, ah, two teenage street gangs of different ethnic backgrounds. Okay, so the the musical was written like what, like in the in the 50s? Is that what we're saying? That's right? when that's or, when Sondheim would have done it. Yeah. So so. Here's the thing. I from a production standpoint, the movie as we've already talked about from a cinematography standpoint, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg brings his Spielbergness into the movie. Mm-hmm. But and 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 from a production standpoint, they do a lot. Not that the bar was set very high with the <laughs> with the original where where you had, you know, actors in in brownface um in a lot of that cast. Like, yes, we've got a ton of Puerto Rican people in the cast. And, and, and oh, the other thing I wanted to shout out as well is the aspect of um, the original movie being very transphobic as well. And here we have a, a trans character that is, you know, at a certain point celebrated um, in the movie. And that's awesome. That's totally cool. But from a narrative standpoint, the fact that they chose to stick more to the original, original yeah. than shifting the narrative further towards the Puerto Rican characters, and I just wanted Ariana DeBose to be the main character. But but I just mean, like, in the sense of, you know, you're, you're trying to update this narrative. I think that's what they were doing. If they're just trying to do exactly what the original one did, fine. But from a narrative standpoint, I was so uncomfortable mm-hmm. watching this movie where the narrative is trying to get me to like these 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 extremely racist characters that I get those that's that's a thing that happened i totally understand that that is an aspect to it but you have a a, a you know you've got this this trans character that finally gets his due walks out of the scene and the very characters that that he was trying to to sort of um get with and 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 recognize him as as him turn around and try to rape someone like it just but at to what me, point in the movie did they try didn't and make any sense pl- play the jets as if they were the good guys that uh, these were two groups of people doing the wrong thing and not that the not that the sharks the puerto ricans were necessarily in the wrong at all but i mean i don't think they painted the jets as the good guys that you were supposed to root for here you're supposed to root for tony and maria and that's it 
But the thing is, is Tony was very much a part of the. He Jets, wasn't though. He wanted to right? separate himself from thing. them at every turn. He hated what they were doing. He didn't want to be a part of that at all. But he was at one point, right? Like that's the big thing for me, where I just I couldn't. I really didn't believe in his character. I also thought that Maria's decision making throughout the movie, because of love, was extremely just completely and what love what love that's not love that's a kiss behind a bleacher and all of a sudden you're going to give up everything that's ever been important to you i don't like love at first sight yeah. can be really overdone and it's the most overdone of all time in this story for sure but it's that's brutal. but that again nate as you're saying they kept the narrative very traditional very formulaic to what it was they gave you these hints of how they're being forward in a more modern time even the way it looked and the the cinematography and you know the lived in world it just it all felt more contextualized more so than than the original but they didn't move the needle enough forward and they kept it to like a, a, an an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet it just it continued that it didn't do anything to move anything forward other than just technical achievements and you know introduction of, of actors like like Ariana DeBose the, those are the standout things from this movie and the Spielbergian tone if you will to the west side story like it's nice but i i, I would have wished that they would have pushed the narrative a bit more to actually be a little bit more inclusive my my biggest issue with the movie is not that they didn't modernize the issues that's 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 not what the point of this was because again then you'd have to set it in 2020 and you'd be telling a, a very different story what i'm upset about here is we have two remakes in our best picture category here and dune in every single way is better than the original dune it, it, it not only improves from a technical standpoint, but from a storytelling, sure. acting standpoint, everything is better. Here, sure, it looks better, but they haven't really changed anything. And don't be, don't no, they mistake yourselves, yeah. guys. The, the the 1957 musical is a classic in musical circles. It's yeah. a it's a top three-er on most people who love these yeah, movies list. And yeah. so, so leave it at that. It didn't need to be remade. This was a Spielberg vanity project. He's like, I can exactly. make it look pretty, but exactly. I'm going to cast. Yeah. I'm gonna cast cardboard cutout Ansel Egghart. Oh my god! And then this 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 lead who plays Maria, I uh, Rachel Zegler, she's not the right type of singer for a movie like this. She'd be great in an opera, but I don't want these high aria ohs in in my musical. Because she's singing over people, she was distracting. I I mm. she'll be great as Snow White singing at it's... the well, la, 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 to the birds and stuff. But she did not fit. Her singing voice didn't fit here. Yeah, everything about their performances was it was unbelievable. It was uninspired. It was awful. Other than uh, our our girl Ariana, this movie was a, a disaster in terms of acting and portrayals. I just don't think it enhanced anything. And and just as a movie in general, this is the kind of musical that bugs me because I'm here watching two dudes fight for a gun while by pirouetting over you know, floorboards and they're dance fighting the whole time. And that's just, and like that shot in the final confrontation with the shadows coming across each other and stuff, it'd be amazing if they didn't instantly break into song and dance, you know, like it just, it just takes me out of a movie like this. Like I would rather, I would like to see this story told without them singing and dancing. Cause I think it would be a lot more powerful personally. That's just my opinion, but I'm not the one to go to when it comes to musicals. So we will move on to our final category of the show. We are here at best picture, just a refresher for everyone. The nominees are Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. And obviously we've talked about these movies to death, so why don't we just 
skip right to our picks. This one, we've been pretty tight on all these categories. We've only differed in a few. So uh, this one, this might be the one to decide them all. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to take a stab at it here. Uh, when when the big night comes, my, my choice might change. When there's money on the line in, in the, the Oscar bet and pool that I do every year, I might not go with my heart. But for the sake of this, I have to give Coda all the love in the world. I love that movie so much. I think it did so much right. I'm going with Coda. I, it's my favorite movie of the year, so why shouldn't it win Best Picture? Okay, Nate. Let's let's say let's say our response on three. Okay, let's just we're just gonna do it. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, I'm gonna go with my mind on this one, though. I'll tell you that. Okay. So ready? Three, two, one. Belfast. The power of the dog. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's gonna go power um, of the dog, eh? I don't want it to. Don't get me wrong. I want Coda to take this. Yeah, I, do I want, want Belfast yeah. to take this. If they could cut the award in half and give it to both of those movies, I would be perfectly happy. I feel like the power of the dog is just doing all those Academy Award winning things that movies have to do to win. And I feel like that's going to be the direction. It's so hard to pick against the movie that gets 12 nominations. If it gets the most nominations, yeah. doesn't that automatically mean it's the best, at least according to the Academy? It, it doesn't yeah. always play out that way. But, it, you know, Power of Dog has had a good run in the circuit, it, you know, uh, of, of award season. Um, I think Coda obviously surprised at, at SAG winning Best Ensemble cast and really being like the titular sort of best picture award of of the awards um and i i per, i'm with you I, I personally agree i think that like coda deserves it more than belfast but i'm going with belfast and this is my theory about best picture i don't think they're going to award best picture to a streaming platform i think they're going to play politics mm. with it and i don't think it's going to end up going they're going to divide and conquer so like you know i don't think we mentioned script but you know i could see power of dog winning best adapted or coda even if Coda doesn't win Best Picture, obviously, one of those two. And I think Belfast, Belfast feels like that very heartfelt Oscar movie that that they would check the box for Best Picture for. Um, again, this is all just a guessing game, but that's my strategy for at least choosing. But if, you know, if a streaming platform were to win for Best Picture, I would 100% want to see Coda win. That That's my heart. My, my heart goes to Coda because it was a fantastic movie, like you were saying, Kev. So, yeah. Interesting. Well, Interesting. only time will tell. You're going to have to tune in to find out uh, who is right. I think it's time we uh, wrap up this marathon of a show and uh, go get into some trouble at some after parties, guys. This was our oh, Academy yeah. Awards preview show. Thanks for tuning in wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and leave us a glowing review, or we might just have to give you a Razzie nomination. As always, reach out Ooh. and say hi, and let us know who you'll be rooting for at this year's Academy Awards. You can do so at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com, or if that will take as long as sitting through Drive My Car, hit us up on Twitter at GeekcentricYT and Instagram at wearegeekcentric. Keep in mind, we also have a ton of other episodes covering a variety of other content with new content always coming out. Recently, Justin sat down with friend of the program Rob Brunette, an illustrator for Marvel, in an awesome interview that gave us a sneak peek into his creative world. Our spoiler-free and filled review of Turning Red is also available. And of course, every week we come at you with This Week in Geek, where we share the latest in news, trailers, and all things geek-centric. And coming up, we'll have our early review for Moon Knight in advance of our next Watch Club series for the show once it hits Disney Plus on March 30th. 
And finally, be sure to tune in on March 30th, where we'll review all the glamorous details of this year's Oscar show, including the winners, the losers, and most importantly, who reigns supreme amongst the geeks. Uh, hopefully in, in years coming up, we can find a way to trim this down, much like the actual broadcast is going to do <laughs> this year. Uh, but until next time, Justin, Nate, thanks for joining me. And as we say, love ya. Get home safe, guys. Peace. Peace.